Hey, this is Richard and I'm back and uh, sorry to disappoint you. This is not episode two. Uh, what this is and so in between episodes, I want to answer some questions that you will be sending me. And so I've got some questions from episode one already. And speaking of episode one, thank you so much for um, for listening. Uh, we've had 200 listens since we launched on Friday and it's Sunday. So uh, thanks to all of you who are listening, sharing and supporting. I am so grateful for each one of you. And before we get to the questions, you can send me questions to my email address, rwolfgram at gmail.com. Uh, that's just my first initial. And then Wolfgram is spelled W-O-L-F as in Frank, G-R-A-M-M, like M&Ms. On our Anchor page, you can also leave us a voicemail. So just record a voicemail. Um, and I love that because then I can edit that into the podcast and we get to hear your lovely voices. Initially, I thought of doing this in an Instagram live, but then I was recently on an IG live with the vision board and uh, it just confirmed to me that some faces belong behind the camera and I am one of those faces. <laughs> and, you know, I can't even stand the sound of my own voice, but here I am with a podcast and you are following me. So again, I thank you for um, indulging in my little uh, project here, my little famuna, as we would say in Tonga. Okay, so let's get to our first question. Richard, why are you using a narrative from a white man to tell us about Tongan culture? I recently heard you on an IG live, uh, probably the one I did recently with the vision board, um, critiquing white researchers who make a career from studying and writing about Tongan culture. Aren't you doing the same thing? Okay, this is a very good and legitimate question, so uh, let me answer it. When you look at all the academic writing, all the published papers about Tonga and about the South Pacific, you'll notice that uh, most of it come from Balangi researchers. And then you'll notice that a lot of our own researchers from our community also reference um, a lot of these uh, Balangi well-respected researchers. What's different about Mariner's account is that one, he was not a researcher, he was not an academic. He was just a kid from England and he lived in Tonga for four years and he was able to actually experience all these things that he's talking about. Um, I also think it's important to recognize that um, he lived at a time during Tongan history where he got to personally witness a lot of significant Tongan historic events. And many of those events and even just things he witnessed from, you know, the day-to-day -day lives of everyday Tongans are corroborated by uh, other Europeans who are also there at the same time and documented those events. I think we live in an age now where Tongan identity is shaped so much by Christianity. And so Tongan culture, when we reflect on it, is you know very um, nostalgic and it's very uh, sentimental. And I think there's a danger in that. To quote the prolific writer James Baldwin, uh, he says, sentimentality, the ostentatious parading of excessive and spurious emotion is the mark of dishonesty. And I think this is what we do with Tongan identity today. It's so sentimental and it hinges on this one act, you know, Tupo the first when he um, dedicated Tonga to God, you know, Tukufonua. That's what that is all about. And so that has become the hallmark of Tongan identity today. Being Tongan and being Christian is synonymous. It's like, it's inseparable. And I... Personally, I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's disingenuous. And so one of the things I appreciate about 
Uh, Mariner's account is that it is unfiltered, it's unbiased. And really when you are comparing this book, which is just an account um, to the work that academics are doing today, you know, Mariner has nothing to gain, he's dead. Uh, I don't know if he has an estate, but here's the thing. When you are looking at Balangi researchers today, um, and when you look at the immense privilege they have, you know, uh, a lot of them hang out with the royals and a lot of them have access that we as common Tongans would never have access to. And so they gatekeep a lot of this information. And one of the things I love about this book is that it's out there in public and you can buy it and you can read it and you can draw from it whatever knowledge you have to gain from it. One of the things I noticed from Tongan academics of a certain generation is that there's so much deference and even uh, reverence to uh, cultural institutions. What I'm doing with this podcast is just trying to make that information accessible. It's not like it's hidden, but it's a story that uh, certainly a lot of us in the diaspora do not know about. And you know, um, in the tradition of Tongan Fananga, I'm just telling a story. And this is a digital story. You know, when I grew up in Tonga, one of the things that I loved every day was just, um, you know, when we we're out of school, um, they would play Tongan Fananga, so our myths on the radio. And um, for me, that was like sacred time. You know, I would sit there and listen to uh, these Tongan Fanangas and just uh, really one of those things that made me really, really proud to be where I'm from. Hopefully that answered your question and let's move on to the next one. Okay, our second question. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for this podcast. I am learning so much. Can you please explain about the hierarchy of food in Tongan culture? Because this is the first time I've ever heard of it. Okay, let's jump into that. So when the Porto Prince first arrived to Hapai, uh, if you just remember back to the podcast, uh, when the natives came on, sh on deck and they brought with them some food, and the food that was offered to uh, Captain Brown and his crew were uh, yams, which in Tonga we call ufi, and then a puakatunu, which is a roasted pig or hog. So in a Tongan meal, you will have a kiki, which is like your meats, and then you will have your haka, which is kind of like your starches or your carbs. The starches you would see in a typical Tongan meal would be your ufi, which is your yams, and then taro, uh, breadfruit, which we call mei, uh, kape, and then green bananas or plantains, and then uh, manioke, or what they call in like Central and South American countries, cassava. A typical kiki in a Tongan meal would be uh, something from the sea, like fish or shellfish, uh, lobster, clams, um, but then you also have things like pork, um, corned beef, and my personal favorite, sipi. And you know, sipi is lamb, and it's not exactly the best cut of lamb. It is the lamb flaps or lamb ribs, and that is what we love in the islands. And then later, horses came to join the party. So yes, we Tongans, we love our horse meat. Yum, yum, yum. So back to the question. In Mariner's time, so this was before Christianity, this is the early 1800s, and so um, the typical foods of that time uh, of course you know lamb hasn't arrived yet because that's that comes from New Zealand or corned beef and so if you're looking at meat 
Really, you just have pork and then you have uh, whatever you can fish from the sea. Oh, and then you have dogs. So yes, dogs um, at that time were part of a nutritious Tongan meal. Rats were also a source of protein, though it looks like it was for the lower class and uh, not so much the noble or chiefly class. And they were all eating good and didn't have time to mess around with rats. So if you were to serve a meal to a very important guest in Tonga, you would give them the best. And so in Tongan culture, Ufi is the very best that you can offer a guest. Ufi is also referred to as a chiefly yam. And that really goes back to the days of the Tu'i Tonga. And it's interesting that we uh, now have evidence that Tonga was first settled by the first Polynesians 3,000 years ago. It's not until 900 AD that we have record of the first Tongan king. And this is where the Tu'i Tonga line begins. So the first Tu'i Tonga was Aho Eitu, and his father was Tangaloa Eitu Matupua. And his mother was a mortal woman, Ilaheva Vaipopua. And so from Aho Eitu, we have a succession of Tuitongas starting in 900 AD all the way down to the time of Mariner. It's interesting to note that at the time of Mariner, the Tuitonga line was actually uh, becoming obsolete because it yielded its power to the Tui Hatakalaua line and then eventually the Tu'i Kanukpolu line. Even with the waning power of the Tuitonga, um, it was very obvious in Mariner's time that a lot of the rituals that were associated with the Tuitonga were still being observed. And one of those rituals being the Inasi. And so the Inasi was a tribute that was presented to the Tuitonga. And this is where you would present your first fruits or what they call Fuatapu. And you would present this to the chief and then this would move up the hierarchy um, up to the Tuitonga. And so when you present your first fruits, your Fuatapu, uh, you always want to have the best. And not just have the best, but there's also a certain way in the way uh, it's presented. And of course, the prized um, first fruits that you want to present it are your best ufi or yam. After these things are presented to the Tuitonga, he would then offer it to the gods. And the whole idea was that um, it was to secure a bountiful harvest for the next season. Ufi was also a significant in Tongan culture because the ancient Tongan calendar, so the calendar that we used in Tonga before the introduction of the Gregorian calendar, which we use today, was uh, based on the cycles of the Ufi. And so uh, the original Tongan calendar had 13 months and now we have 12. And each month was named uh, based on the stages of the Ufi during its growth cycle. And then Ufi is just one of those um, plants, you know, it's called a chiefly plant because it takes so much just to cultivate, to grow, to ensure that you have a successful crop and that you are able to contribute to the Inasi. This was one of the things I got to see as a child growing up in Tonga was uh, my father's village, uh, how they all got together to start a new rotation of Ufi. And it was just so much work. I still remember them digging these really deep holes where they had to put in um, Ufi that was cut up and it had shoots. And so uh, that's one of the things that I faintly remember from childhood was just uh, watching all of the men work to make sure that um, they get a really good outcome. Okay, so going back to the question, and I'm sorry for the lengthy explanation, but uh, I think this really helps us to understand how important Ufi is if you are 
presenting food to guests, and especially if they are guests of like high rank in Tongan culture. Um, you definitely will not present uh, white rice. No, uh, throw that rice cooker away and don't even think about it. Um, and manioke, you know, it's one of those things where, yes, you can eat it at home, but you don't want to serve that to guests that are of high rank. My Auntie Yvonne is hilarious because she would always say, manioke is what you feed pigs. So when you are serving ufi, you are showing others that you have put in the labor you have done the work. You have created this beautiful, delicious product and you cultivated it with lots of love and care. Okay, let's do one more question. Richard, uh, what books are you using in your podcast? Can you please drop the name so that we can also follow along? Okay, so the main book I am using as my source material is called uh, Tonga Islands, William Mariner's Account, Volumes 1 and 2 Combined. And I was able to buy this off of um, Amazon for only $20. And so I mentioned before in my podcast, uh, sometimes it's hard to find because these books are no longer in circulation. But uh, usually there is somebody who is selling their book. And it's so funny because this book that I bought off of Amazon, uh, I opened it up and there was a card inside, a business card, and it belonged to someone named Sionetoki. And interestingly, also in my research, there is a screenplay that is online that was written by Sionetoki. And so I'm thinking it's probably the same one. Sionetoki, I have your book. I found it on Amazon. I had originally bought a copy when I was uh, last time in Tonga and um, someone Tongan borrowed it. And we all know what I mean by Tongan borrowed. They came and they saw it in my library and they didn't ask and uh, they walked away with it. Another book I am looking at is called The Tonga Book, uh, fourth edition. And this is written by Dr. Paul W. Dale. This book is only uh, $5.99 on Kindle. So if you're one of those that prefers to uh, read your books on Kindle, that's a good deal. Um, and it's also available on paperback on Amazon for only uh, $19.80. What I love about this book is that Dr. Dale took uh, William Mariner's account, but he added also a lot of his own notes and explanations and corrected a lot of the spelling. Uh, and he actually spent time in Tonga. So... Uh, very good book. Uh, I would say this one is legit. Another book I'm looking at is, uh, it's called An Authentic Narrative of Four Years Residence at Tongatapu. And this is written by George Vason. George Vason was a, um, he came with a London Missionary Society on a ship called the Duff. And we will talk about this also in Mariner because there is a reference to um, the Duff. But these missionaries came to Tonga in late 1700s. George Vason, Vasson, I, I don't know how you pronounce that, but he was originally a part of that party and he was a bricklayer. So he came with the missionaries because his whole thing was building, you know, the homes and the churches for the missionaries. But George met a local woman and fell in love and he lost his way and had a crisis of faith, but ended up marrying this woman. He was given land, you know, he had his api uta, and then he was all caught up in the civil war between all of the chiefs of Tonga at that time. And so, um, very fascinating book, and there is a connection to the Mariner story. So, um, I'm not going to reveal that now, 
but we will talk about that in future episodes. Another book is Early Tonga as the Explorers Saw It, 1616 to 1810. Um, this is also available on um, Amazon, and the author is Edwin N. Ferdin. And basically, this book is just a compilation of people's experiences in Tonga during um, during that year, those years that are mentioned in the title. And so it does reference um, George Vason. It does uh, reference uh, Mariner and also just some other uh, European explorers that uh, probably we won't be talking about in the podcast. But I highly recommend that you just check this book out. And then just some of the other things I'm um, also looking at are some of the published um, academic works from Tongan uh, professors and scholars. And I will find a way to um, make that public or to share these links. Maybe I just need to create a website. I don't know. You guys let me know what you think will be helpful for you. And like I said before, you know, sharing is caring and there's no need for us to be sitting on this knowledge. Like, what good does that do? Um, I certainly don't want to be a gatekeeper. I think this is stuff that we just all need to know. It's good for our brains. It's good for our spirit. And I hope that you are finding this useful. And I hope that my little efforts is useful and helpful to you to enrich your knowledge and to uplift your lives. So thank you again for listening. I am so appreciative for all of you. Uh, Episode two will drop on Thursday, this coming up Thursday. I bet you're all curious about what happened to Captain Brown and the others that jumped ship to go and Eva in Ha'apai. See, this, this is why our parents always warn us about, you know, going out in Hawa because bad things happen. So our third episode might be a little late uh, because this weekend I am so excited to fly to New York so that I can watch the play Wild Dogs Under My Skirt. And so uh, if you haven't heard of that play, it's actually a play from New Zealand. Um, It was written by Tusiata Avia and it is an entire cast of Polynesians, Samoans. Um, They are doing their thing in New York. Someone saw it in New Zealand and thought they would bring it to New York. Um, And so it is now playing uh, off-Broadway, and I will be watching that play on Saturday. And I'm just so excited for them, so excited for our people, because we're doing big things, and now we're on Broadway. So kudos to that cast. And, um, And then when I come back on Monday, I will be recording the third episode. But second episode, we will drop on what, why am I saying we? I'm me. I will be dropping it on Thursday. So this coming Thursday, the 16th, will be the second episode. Thank you again for listening, and I would love to hear from you. So if you have questions, please send me an email, rwolfgram at gmail.com, R-W-O-L-F-G-R-A-M-M at gmail.com. You can also use the little handy voicemail feature on our Anchor page. So go on our Anchor page, look for the voicemail feature, and then just leave us a message. I would love to respond, and I would love to even include your message in future podcasts. If I said something on the podcast that was not factual, uh, please reach out to me and let's correct it. You know, I am not perfect. I want to be transparent and I also want to present a podcast that is uh, integrous and um, that is as close to the truth as possible. And so if anything needs to be corrected, please let me know and we will correct it. I have no idea why I keep saying we. I meant me. Me. I will correct it. So reach out to me. And once again, thank you very much. Ofatu to you all.